0: Hello and welcome to the Analytics FC podcast. I'm John McKenzie, Head of Content, and this month I spoke to Elliot Stapley, a software engineer working on the match engine and data for Sports Interactive's Football Manager game. In our chat we talked about how the Football Manager match engine works, how Sport Interactive used data benchmarking to guarantee the realism of Football Manager, and considered what Football Manager can teach us about the game in real life. Here's what Elliot had to say. So Elliot, hello, and thank you for coming on today. Hey, yeah, appreciate it. I always begin these interviews with biographical questions because I like to give our listeners the chance to sort of contextualize how you fit into the industry itself. So could you give us a brief overview of how you ended up working for Sports Interactive?
1: Yeah, so I've been working for Sports Interactive for three years now as a software engineer. I got my start off here due to what I did as my master's project while I was at university. So I did a, a physics course at Manchester, four years, and a city football group offer different funded projects at both a master's and PhD level. And I ended up doing one of the projects with one of my friends and lab partners. And because of that, I kind of had a, a route into football analytics. I'd never really spent any time looking at it before. I think that was maybe 2017, 2018 sort of time. So it was a route into coding. It was a route into football. And then... Immediately after graduation, was looking for jobs, football and coding related. A lot of the industry at the time, I think, was mainly around betting analysis, primarily. So writing models to help you with uh, better predicting what the result was going to be than what the betting markets say. Which looked interesting enough, but I wasn't hugely sold on the concept of working in the betting industry. And then Football Manager came up and it seemed like it was perfect because it's a game I've played since I was a kid. Almost anyone who cares about football and cares about numbers knows about football manager. And there was, yeah, a junior software engineer role. So I dropped straight in basically simply because of the fact that I'd done some development work while at university and had the in through city with the football.
0: A lot of people I think who listen to this podcast are people who are interested in finding their way into the industry. So you mentioned that you studied for a degree in physics, I believe. How important would you say that that degree has been to
1: what you do now? I'd say it's pretty much the main reason that I've ended up where I have. I don't know if necessarily the extent of the course and what I was taught necessarily is where I've ended up where I have, rather than the kind of opportunities that were afforded to me through the fact that I did the I did the project. But I think it's certainly been useful for my approach and being able to be a software engineer and work in football analysis. Simply stuff like being taught how to code, being taught relatively rigorous maths and statistics, stuff like uncertainty analysis, understanding scientific process in regards to errors and that sort of thing, and mainly just being taught to problem solve. I think most of what my degree involved was problem solving fundamentally, really, rather than anything too specific. Obviously, there's a lot of very specific information I've learned throughout the course of the degree that I don't really use at all day to day, but I do think I I gained a lot from it.
0: Now, I don't often get the chance to talk to people who work on computer games, so you're going to have to bear with me asking some questions that I'm sure you get asked all the time. But to to kick off really talking about the football manager side of things, could you just give us a a brief overview of your role at Sports Interactive and what a normal working day looks like?
1: Yeah, of course. So, as I said earlier, I'm I'm a software engineer and I work on the match engine team. My main role is in working with data that comes out of the game. As we'll go on to talk about, I'm sure there's huge amounts of data that comes out of Football Manager. And our intention with Football Manager has always been to best reflect the current reality of football. And the current reality of football also involves a lot of data. So for the last couple of years, we've worked a lot on stuff like the addition of XG into the game, stuff like better visualizations of information, whether that's pass maps and shot maps, and then textual analysis of that information as well. So primarily, that's what I work on, basically the implementation and design of those features. So most of my day I spend writing C++ code. However, because it's a yearly release, we don't entirely spend the time on adding new things. We obviously spend a significant amount of the time working on fixing things. So I'd say roughly my days are kind of split with these these long-term tasks that are kind of design or implementation of long-term new features or working on incremental fixes to the match engine which are kind of more short term maybe a couple of days it'll involve more conversation with people it'll involve interacting with our kind of like project system with like jira and that sort of thing so it's kind of a combination of some long-term stuff some kind of ad hoc short-term stuff with bugs and crashes and also lots of meetings we spend a lot of time talking to the team it's kind of maybe maybe 10 of us in total roughly five or six developers and a lot of testers And we spend a lot of time watching football. We spend a lot of time watching football manager matches. So it's not just sat in front of a black screen all day. There's a a bit of a mix there. You mentioned that you're working for the match engine
0: team. It might be good for us to begin by talking a little bit about that match engine. So this is clearly the beating heart of Football Manager. So could you tell us in as much detail as you can about what this match engine is and how it functions?
1: I'll try and give a bit more of a a top-down overview at the start. I'm sure most people listening will have played Football Manager before. Primarily Football Manager is a complete simulation of a football match so it's 90 minutes long if you wanted to you could watch all 90 minutes and it would play out in front of you and we basically intend to just most accurately represent football as best we can. The user interaction involves building teams, setting lineups, picking tactics, interacting with them throughout the match so maybe changing your tactics throughout and Opposite to you, there's obviously an an AI-controlled manager, in effect. And in the vast majority of matches, you're controlling one team out of 20. The vast majority of matches are AI managers against AI managers. So the way the simulation itself works is founded on something we call decisions, which are what they sound like, where basically four times a second, so every 0.25 seconds, we make all 22 players on the pitch pick a decision. And the way that we pick the decisions is by effectively prescribing a list of possible things that they could do. So that might be passing, it might be shooting, might be dribble with ball, might be stand. And then the core of the match engine is the functions that turn the situation that the player is in and the situation that the match is in and those functions into a score for each of them. So in any given situation, might be a center half on the ball, one minute in. We then run through all of his potential options, score them. So it might be, okay, well, we look at pass to your opposite center half. We look at pass to the right back. We look at pass to the central midfielder. We look at dribbling up five meters. We look at turning around. We look at playing back to the goalkeeper, come up with a numerical score for all of them, rank them and pick the highest one. So this means that we end up having, I think it's like roughly a third of a million decisions per match. There's four per second, there's twenty-two players. We do it 60 seconds and we do the kind of 55 to 60 minutes of in play time. So you end up with a pretty large number of these decisions getting made. Fundamentally what we do in the match team is we adjust how we score the decisions to make it look like real football. Because if those scoring functions aren't right, then the players are going to make decisions that don't look like what they ought to do. And there's a lot of situational factors that goes into stuff like the decision scoring. You might watch a period of play and think, oh, I think he should have done this. But it's important to realize that there's a a team-level factor, there's a player-level factor, because there's the extent of the player attributes, there's the extent of the player mentality, there's the team tactics, there's the influence of the manager, there's the influence of, I don't know, the previous 10 matches, what division you're playing in, everything under the sun. There's even stuff as far as like jet lag for away games that will affect players' decision-making. So yeah, that's primarily how the match engine works, and you end up with making incremental tweaks to the decision scoring and you produce something that looks like a real game of football in the end.
0: And in terms of that match engine itself, you've obviously got the engine running all the time, but how often do you actually tweak that engine as time goes by?
1: So the match engine engineers on the, we call it the AI team, so there's the match engine AI, which is what I've been referring to there with the kind of decision scoring and the pure simulation of the game that happens and then there's kind of match engine related stuff so similar to the match stats that i've been talking about they aren't necessarily related to the decisions of the players but they're important for the match engine from a match engine ai perspective we have three or four developers who work on it full-time and it's iterative because of the nature of the way that the decisions work if you even minorly adjust something like the pass scoring what that means is that the future 90 minutes from that point on are going to be wildly wildly different to what it looked like beforehand because every single decision is gonna be impacted by that. So we have this kind of iterative approach where you'll make minor changes based on feedback, based on a bug, based on something we wanna add, which then has significant knock-on effects to the rest of the game. And then we have to go about fixing the next most significant knock-on. That'll produce something. We have to fix the next most significant knock-on with a question about tweaking the match engine. It's basically constant. Pretty much every day there will be some kind of code change to the match engine to try and iterate and improve on it.
0: I guess the thing that interests me most about this topic is that obviously you are producing this engine which is simulating reality. And there's always going to be a gap between reality and and, and gameplay, I guess. And people are going to play football manager and they're going to want to win probably more often than managers win in real life. And so I suppose you've got two things here. On one hand, you're trying to build as realistic an engine as as you can. But on the other hand, obviously, the user experience is is really important too. So could you talk to us about how you balance those things off? Uh, You retain that gameplay element whilst still making the game as realistic as possible.
1: So the way that we holistically view that decision is we think that the reason that users enjoy playing Football Manager is because they enjoy football most people who watch and play football manager will also like football and they may like football manager more than football because of the fact they get to build a team because of the fact they get to win whereas maybe the team in real life don't i don't know like a lot of it is about the satisfaction there but i think if we were to more fundamentally base our decision making about how we produce the match engine around what users want or like where they particularly want something to play out we end up maybe kind of Cheapening the simulation to an extent. Fundamentally, our aim, basically, with the match engine is to make it as realistic a simulation as possible, down to the eye test data, even including stuff like our kind of scouting network. You do the player attributes and do the manager attributes. It's all so that we can have as realistic a simulation as possible. But it is an important distinction to make because the people who <laughs> buy the game are the people who are playing the game, and the reason they're buying the game is because they're enjoying it. So. I was thinking about this earlier and I thought about quite a good example, which is if you think about, for instance, a penalty, there's a high 70 odd percent chance that a penalty gets taken, 76, 78, whatever. What that means is that there's a relatively significant chance still that your team could take two penalties in a row and they could miss both of them. That can easily happen. Um, It happens in real football. It happens in football manager. However, I was listening to a talk recently with a game that was like, a don't know, kind of like a a turn-based game where it has this attack does this damage and it has this hit rate. And the way they approach hit rates is that if there's X number of misses, they then adjust the hit rate. Because the way that the human brain thinks is if you see something's got a 50% hit rate, that means within two, it will hit whereas there's still a significant chance that it might not hit over to. So what that means is if the first one is missed, they maybe change the hit rate to 75%, so you got a way better chance of the second one hitting. We would never do something like that. We will always maintain the accuracy to the greatest extent possible and hope that the user satisfaction comes from the way that they can interact with the world, basically.
0: So in these decisions, then, you're always putting the realism, taking priority over the gameplay?
1: I would say so. The only caveat to that is that we would never want to produce a match engine that had significantly irritating factors in it. (laughs) Um, So say this is where the kind of the situation where bugs appear realistically, I'd say if there was something that was relentlessly annoying and unsatisfying to users, it would almost definitely be down to a decision we'd made or an error we'd made perhaps, or a bug or something of the like. However, I do think there's a bit of a trade-off there because most users want to play good football. And most users want their players to be good. And what that means is that if you go watch a non-league game, it's awful. The technical quality is obviously far worse than the Champions League. The players aren't as good as they are in the Champions League. And as much as we aim to reflect reality, I don't think we have the kind of true slog that happens at lower levels, simply by nature of the fact that it's a simulation, right? Players are going to be better, Because they're making prescribed decisions that we're dictating based on watching top level football, because that's most of the football we watch as much as we want to be able to replicate all levels. And to an extent, the cycle that we have where bugs appear, where, for instance, like a a goalkeeper makes a horrendous clanger. They do happen in real life, but they don't happen often in Football Manager, because when they do happen, you see it on Twitter. We get a bug about it and someone's like, well, I lost this game because of this our keeper would never do this there's some probability that he will do it and over the millions and millions of football manager matches that get played in a year it will happen quite significantly often but I do think we try and mitigate against the real nightmare scenarios a little bit more than his real life it might be good
0: to talk about bugs actually at this point I don't play football manager but I have a lot of friends who do I I also follow Leeds United so I have a lot of friends who play Leeds United saves and I think this time around there was a bit of a bug from scoring headed goals from corners I think I had a friend who had Robin Cox scoring something like 30 headed goals from corners over the course of the season so talk (laughs) us just through the process of of how these bugs occur and how you sort them out.
1: So a lot of it comes down to the iteration process that I mentioned earlier where you tweak something and there's a knock-on that appears somewhere else there's only so many scenarios that we can viably test in any given fix say we make a change to pass scoring like we said earlier there will be over a million match sample that will have a very significant effect on some particular facet of passing so stuff like corners i believe historically we would had too few goals off corners change was made to the delivery and over the ai match simulations that we run we don't see any significant issues with goals from corners on our overall tests. The users, however, are generally a lot more intelligent than the AI managers are, and they can do stuff like set-piece set tactics. And what that bug itself came down to was effectively the accuracy of the corner delivery was too high. So if you set your corner taker to deliver it near post, almost without fail, it would hit near post stuff like this happens because of the sheer size of the code base when we've got millions of lines of code that are making decisions there's always going to be something that hasn't been touched for x number of years you come across it and you think okay well that doesn't look right so i'll maybe make a change there and just because of how big it is that sort of stuff happens so in this case users see it maybe our testers see it it gets logged it comes to us developers We have X number of examples and we work around it. So in that case, we maybe change the way that the corners are delivered. They're less accurate. You hit less on the front post. If you have a big lad, he wins less front post headers. But it's then important to remember that that will have other effects where maybe goals from corners come down overall relative to real life. So it's kind of this constant act of of spinning plates. And generally, the way we think about it is you can never really perfectly reflect reality But if you can minimize the obviously incorrect things, you'll end up with a simulation that reflects reality almost all of the time. So that corner example, we fix the corners, corners look much better, even if they're perhaps a little bit off relative to reality due to, I don't know, maybe minorly less accurate delivery. You don't see something that looks wrong and then your overall faith in the simulation is better.
0: Again, this is what really fascinates me about what you guys are doing, because obviously at the moment in football analytics, the holy grail is is tracking data, really. You can analyse football a lot better when you, you know at every moment to whatever fraction of a second where all 22 players in the ball are relative to one another in the pitch. And what you guys are doing is essentially doing things the other way around, right? You're generating the tracking data to have the output of a a football game. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? How useful is the data that you generate in a sort of entirely fabricated universe for actually learning things about football itself?
1: Yeah, you're right in that it is effectively the other way around. The way that we view our relationship between the engine and data is about the data is in effect to validate the accuracy of the simulation rather than us producing data to learn something about real football. So we do wide-scale data tests. It might be that we run X number of thousand matches and we compare ranges of statistics to real life. So stuff down to like, I don't know, open play cross volume, completion rates, different kind of like directnesses of passes, stuff like we added XG a couple of years ago, that's really helped us diagnose kind of shooting patterns. But fundamentally it's only really of use to us if we also have an equivalent indicator in real life to compare to so for the time being the fact that we have access to what would be the equivalent of massive amounts of tracking data isn't too useful for us from a diagnostic perspective because access to real life tracking data isn't widespread so stuff like acceleration speeds of players stuff like average speeds distance covered is obviously a little bit more accessible but these are things that we'd love to know more about from real life because we're convinced that it would really help improve the accuracy of the simulation. But yeah, data is hugely important to us. It might be something like, like I mentioned with the crosses, like maybe the, the testers or the users intuitively feel like something is a little bit different compared to reality. So this eye test will drive a narrative and then maybe we can quantify the extent to which that narrative holds so we can put in logging for the comparable situation we can then compare it to real life numbers if those numbers exist and then we can validate any changes we make so say we make ai level changes to how players approach crossing we'll then want the changes we make to reflect real life in those numbers so it kind of gives us a, a target in effect we're never going to completely go with the data over what looks correct because as you say and what we were talking about earlier Primarily, it's about users thinking that it's real football and enjoying it. We're never going to just go to the nth degree of it being perfectly accurate on every single metric, but it not looking anything like real football. But I do think the process has helped with my understanding of football. Maybe an example is like, if you're wanting to produce a measure for something that's maybe like of a particular facet of football, so say maybe we think that balls are played in the air a little bit too often compared to real life, you... add the measure quite easily because it's a video game you can say if the ball's above the ground then it's a lofted pass it's not quite as easy in real life unless you've got someone recording it but still but then when you go to fix that to bring it down to reality i think you have to have the actual understanding of the decision making the player because it falls back on the engine being about decisions you have to to an extent have an understanding of how football players might think in that situation where what is the reason why Somebody might play the ball in the air. Is it because they feel like there's a high risk of interception if it was played on the ground? Is it because they can maybe kick it a little bit further if it's played aerially? It's less likely to be intercepted. Yeah, someone gets a leg out, or maybe they think the person who's receiving the ball is particularly good in the air relative to the player they're playing against. So I do think the data that we produce helps us intuitively understand football a little bit better because of the fact that we have to then go through the process of improving it based on the decisions.
0: And I suppose the question here is uh, how do you avoid the problem of circularity, right? In that regardless of how much you can benchmark using data from real life, there's always going to be the the possibility that that you guys generate a form of football that is, I, I suppose, aesthetically pleasing to you guys. So how do you protect against that circularity?
1: There's definitely some truth to that issue where, for instance... Maybe you, really, maybe you really, really like free kick goals. And there's a bug that comes up where it's like, okay, we're a little bit low on free kick goals. Here's carte blanche to make changes on free kicks. And then you make free kicks brilliant in the game. You make everyone who's got above 12 free kicks be able to score outrageous worldies. And you love how it looks. But then somewhere a little angry data point appears that says we've currently got twice the conversion rate of free kicks compared to real life. And if we ship it in that state within no time, someone is going to notice it simply because of the number of games that get played, people spot trends really, really, really quickly, much faster than you ever would just looking at the data in effect, because some of it is the fact that when you watch football manager, you watch the highlights of the match and stuff like offensive actions appear very frequently. So if we made changes to free kicks within no time, the highlight package of a match is going to show someone scoring free kicks and you're going to think okay well there's way too many free kicks being scored even if the numbers are i don't know only 50 percent higher than reality people's intuition for that sort of thing is really quite good i think so yeah it, it almost does shake out that the data tends to be a grounding point for where there's discussion over what we maybe do and don't want but i think you are right where because of The football that we watch and because of the football that the users want to play, there's almost a little bit of a bias towards modern attacking, pressing kind of football.
0: Yeah, and that brings me on to the next question, actually, which is that some of my friends who play have said, actually, it feels as though pressing teams fare much better in this iteration of football manager at the moment so Manchester City don't seem to do quite as well perhaps as as some of them the pressier teams so Liverpool uh, are going to do quite well and I think Leeds again I've mentioned that I follow Leeds so a lot of my friends are quite happy with the current iteration because (laughs) you can get Leeds performing quite well in the the Premier League so yeah talk to us a little bit about that and and I guess the question is what happens when that reaches a level where you think it's problematic I suppose
1: With the pressing, a lot of that is because of the desire we had to make sure that pressing was improved a lot for FM22. So this is kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier, where you make a significant change and then you have to work around it after the fact because of all the knock-ons. So one of our big points for FM22 was working on the pressing system. We never thought high pressing really worked properly, so we gave it a spruce up. And what that means is that obviously you end up with teams who press a lot doing something quite well because relatively it's something we added very recently and it's had less time to be massaged to reality. I think also it's because of the fact that it's a simulation and kind of in the nature of Football Manager where there's a little bit less, what's the right word? There's a little bit less chaos than there is in real life. If you are faster and stronger than someone, you are going to beat them in a foot race. You are going to beat them in a duel. If you are leads and all of their players have 15 plus work rate and stamina in most games they're going to outrun the opponent and if they're set to press then they're going to win the ball a lot and it will be an effective play style obviously for a kind of replication of reality what should happen is the players should get knackered the players should get muscular injuries the players should struggle to replicate it week on week they should leave holes at the back but it's all part of this iteration process i think and there's there's definitely some truth in it it's something we would like to look at is to be able to better replicate all the different styles and all the different levels of football. But it becomes difficult when players within a period of time will have built super teams. You're not going to sign players who are slow because there will always be a player available on the market who is faster and as good at everything else because of how new gens work on Football Manager, because of the fact that most players play as either very good teams or as teams who will be signing 18-year-old Argentinians you end up in these situations where you build super teams. And I think that even in real life, if you had a team who were the strongest and fastest and most combative team in the world, you would probably fall on pressing being your primary strategy for football anyway, as much as you might think, okay, well, the passing football should be as effective. If you are just going to run more, you're going to battle more. It's probably going to be the best if you have a big, strong, fast team. Obviously,
0: when it comes to pressing, you're talking about essentially sort of on... Ball events obviously zonal systems are slightly different in terms of like how do you account for them in terms of decision making so is it easier to represent a team off ball when they're doing pressing actions than when they're when they may be controlling space through zonal structures
1: it definitely is i think because it's more obvious when we're watching the match when we're debugging the match when we're making it look like what we want to you can watch a player defending space and think okay he should block this passing lane okay he should he should rush this man he should jump he should push into this position far more easily than i think you can prescribe the exact position of the entire defensive line and especially on football manager there's lots of 1v1 duels there's fast players beating players with dribbles if you are too zonal in the way that we set up defensive shapes you end up with attacking players in too much space and then they're often too quick to ever be able to recover. So it's quite difficult to set up zonal shapes that work well. So yeah, I do think there's a lot of truth in that where pressing is maybe a little bit easier to point at and thus is a little bit easier for us to develop than it is to put together like a, a brilliant Simeone five-five-zero defensive shape
0: let's move on and talk a little bit about the eye test stuff that you've you've talked about then because obviously you're using data as a a sort of benchmark but you're also wanting this to look realistic so how does that eye test process work
1: so it's our main avenue for improvements to the game comes through people watching the match the way i describe it is we have a macro scale understanding of how the match looks from the statistics and we have a, a micro scale understanding from people watching the match so we have a brilliant qa team that's quality assurance testers who are i believe at the minute all qualified coaches and they spend most of their time watching matches either real matches through access to various providers we have or through playing football manager saves it might be targeted so say for instance recently if we've made a change to pressing like we were talking about earlier what we'll then do is the testers will then spend some time watching pressing team matches. They'll set up their tactics to be highly pressing. They'll then watch a huge number of matches, find the specific things that they think are wrong with us and come back to us with feedback. The main reason that they're really, really useful for us is the data can tell us that something's wrong. It might be like, okay, there's too many pressures per ninety than real life. But what it can't say is how we go about fixing it. But if someone has watched hundreds of clips of players pressing in the match engine they'll have a much more intuitive understanding of what we then need to go about fixing in the decision scoring to make it look like reality so yeah it, it's, it's huge for us we spend a lot of time watching real football we have weekly sessions where we watch an hour of football as a group where we'll pick matches or pick clips based on trends that we think have appeared so With what you were talking about, the kind of zonal defending. If we think there's an issue with that, we might clip up some Simeone matches and watch it as a team, pause it, talk through it, maybe find situations where we think look different to football manager. And then the day after, we'll watch a comparable football manager match. And that process is very, very good for us at generating issues. It's very good at generating things we want to fix because of that group experience of watching the matches together. Which I think you get a lot more from, from a going about fixing it afterwards perspective than you necessarily do from just seeing a little red dot that says that a number's wrong.
0: Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about metrics and defining metrics in particular. So you've talked a lot about how the game itself is based around this decision system that you have. Now, it seems to me that what would happen in certain scenarios is you'll have kind of weird overlaps in that So, for example, a player takes a shot and it's a really bad shot and it ends up looking like a cross. Obviously, when logging data in real life, you'll look at that and maybe judge that to be a, a cross rather than a shot. Um, whereas, I guess, in your situation, because the decision is made first, that's the nature of what it is going to be. So I suppose, given that you're using data... as as a benchmark against your system? How do you avoid sort of scenarios where actually what's happening isn't really reflecting reality?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. You're totally right. We have this fundamental, relatively short list of actions that a player can take. And historically, the way that we've logged player statistics and team statistics has been when something happens, we log it. So player makes a crossing decision, we log a cross. That means at the end of the game, the player has plus one crosses. However, this has always been an issue for us because when we added the who scored chalkboard style system into the match where you can do event viewing in effect, like there's like a like a 90 minute slider, there's pitch breakdowns, there's different categoric information where you can look at all of the, for instance, crossing actions one player made. The chalkboard information is historically been driven post hoc, as you say, where we can look at after the match we then have the information of what happens after an event so in that situation somebody crossed and it ended up going to the goal and the goalkeeper saved it at match time that would be a cross after match we look at it there's a cross and then there's a save what that means is that realistically it was a shot and we can then say in the post-match that it's a shot that means that we end up with an endless list of bugs that says the numbers on this page look different to the numbers on this page and they shouldn't look different because one of them is lying to me so what that meant was that when we i think it was when we added xg for fm21 we rethought the way that our stat system works so rather than it being a kind of log events as they happen it became a log potential events as they happen and then evaluate them at the end of a sequence so say in this example where a player makes a crossing action we log a potential cross there is a a potential save event. We can then, when the ball goes out of play, for instance, we want to evaluate the sequence of events that have happened and add them to the stats. So historically, you just loop through it, you see a cross, you add a cross. Whereas for us now, the cross is taken, immediately afterwards there's a save from the opposition goalkeeper. And what that means is we then know that it must have been what looks like a shot, and we can convert the potential cross into an actual shot. And what that means is that after the match and when the match is playing we end up effectively with the same numbers producing out of it so it's a good question it is something that we had to spend a lot of time thinking about there's a lot of situations where things can change there's passes that end up looking like shots there's tackles that don't end up actually winning the ball and then the other team keeps running with it it becomes a failed tackle shots that end up looking like crosses crosses that end up looking like shots so it's a it's a pretty significant part of the Subjective nature of some football metrics, and we're pretty happy with the way the system works now. We think it's a lot closer to what you would get if you were watching a match and saying what happened.
0: You also wanted to talk a little bit about possession, I think, in this regard as well.
1: Yeah, so I thought that this would be a pretty good overall example of our processes. We had an issue where you don't play the game, so you will have missed this, but basically between two of the patches we had, there was uh, an issue where top teams weren't retaining enough possession. Basically, teams like Liverpool were the real issue. They would often put up mid to high 40s possession rather than the reality, which is more like high 50s. I think this season they're even close to like 60% possession. That bug appears and it says these teams have too much possession. It seems like it should be something that could be relatively easily fixed, but it took like a, a pretty significant amount of time and it was a very cross-team approach to fixing it in the end which is a pretty good indicator of the way we kind of work so we end up with this issue that comes through we get a huge number of examples of it from fans liverpool played this game they had 30 percent possession this is wrong we then have to go about trying to quantify specifically why they have low possession do they have low possession because they were not on the ball for very long do they have low possession because they didn't make many passes do they have low possession and still won the game seven nil do they have Low possession because they're playing too direct? Are they shooting too often? Are they giving up too many unforced turnovers? So we go about kind of a a viewing and data logging approach to find specific issues where we think they should be retaining the ball where they aren't. The first significant problem we found was that the way that the AI managers, so the managers that are controlled by the kind of game side logic rather than the human managers, the AI replication of Jurgen Klopp, in effect, were making some slightly odd decisions in regards to the way that the tempo and the directness of their team were set up. We had this situation where the more attacking you play, the team then inherently plays more directly. They play higher tempo because the way they view the fact that the team is attacking is we need to get the ball up to the other end of the goal. We need to score. That was just how it worked in the game. And the data that we get from the researchers about Klopp says that he plays with very high directness and he plays very attacking and he plays at very high tempo we receive that information we then manipulate it a little bit because maybe they're playing against a rubbish team we bump everything up they set the game up they play very very attacking they play very high tempo they play very direct and then you watch the match and it's basically like it's like barnsley or something like they're like hammering the ball to the other end of the pitch and they have elite attacking players and they score and they win the game still because they have Salah, Mane, Jota players like this who even if they receive 10 passes in the match are going to score two or three goals because they're very very quick and they're very very good on football manager so you have this approach where it's like okay well maybe we need to rethink how the managers view the game we make changes we maybe make the managers be a little bit more kind of conservative a little bit more of an approach to retaining the ball we do that possession doesn't come up highly enough We then think about, okay, well, maybe it's to an extent the player-level decision-making. And we end up realizing fairly quickly that it's not specifically the attacking team in this situation. Maybe it's an issue with the poor team who are retaining the ball for too long. It might just be that the top team aren't going and winning the ball back enough, so they're hemorrhaging possession. But every time they get the ball, they score anyway, so it doesn't matter. So then you find examples where top team... Playing against a poor team, the poor team defenders are just passing it around the back for the whole game. They were expecting to lose the game. They don't care that they're losing the game, so they don't try and attack. They just pass it between the centre halves and they stack up possession. And The possession stats at the end of the game look wrong, even though the goals look right. So it's like, OK, we need to rethink maybe how poor players and players who think they're going to lose the game think about risk. Because the way that they were making the decisions to retain the ball was because they were very, very worried about losing the ball by playing long. But maybe there's there's some kind of distinction against reality there. Like a team like Burnley play long because they know that the risk of losing the ball high up the pitch is way less significant than losing the ball in their own half. They get rid of it. It's much less risky if it's up there under the pitch. Whereas our approach at that time was if they keep the ball, there's no risk there. So they were playing safe passes to each other and stacking up possession. So then we have to make a change to that. So basically what looked like should have been a relatively simple issue ends up with a pretty large number of fixes stacking up across things from AI managers to pressing shapes to the way that defenders approach keeping the ball. And we then end up being happy with the possession numbers in the end. And that's kind of a good holistic view of how Football Manager works, where fans and users spot an issue that's different to reality. We then have a a data and eye test based solution and we iterate on it and validate then against the data in the eye test, and then reach a point where we're more happy with it in the end.
0: It's been recently announced that Sports Interactive are extending their game to include women's teams. You've already talked a little bit about how you use data to benchmark the current match engine, and there's lots of literature out there that shows that the data but it's producing the women's game is quite different to the men's game. So I guess my question is when you're developing the, the women's game, is the match engine going to be a completely different match engine or will it be the same match engine with different parameters in it?
1: So I want to preface this by saying I'm not particularly an expert on women's football, but I am aware of the same things that you are that you've mentioned there, where there are data indicators that there are significant differences in play style, whether it's like shooting patterns are different, They're from closer to goal. I know there's significantly less switches of play. What we would hope is that our match engine is already capable of producing the full scope of football tactics. So what that should mean is that if the women's databases are set up and the women's managers are set up and their play styles accurately reflect what the women's teams are also playing in real life, we should be able to produce a decent simulation initially just from the tactical information. However, there's then the next issue, which is the significant physical differences. So obviously, in general, men are faster, stronger, taller. And what that means is that over long-term averages, things are very different. Even the way a a wall might shape up for a free kick is going to differ based on their average height. Your pressing angle to intercept a player is, in the men's game, you have fast players, you have slow players slow players are going to think about the way they narrow an angle differently than fast players because of their knowledge of when they can get to a ball. So by having these physical disparities with the women's players, it should already produce differences in play style simply by nature of their capacity. So this combination of the difference in the tactics, which are driven by data, and the difference in the physicals, which are also driven by data, should produce something initially that looks like women's football but yeah there will be significant differences we will have to make because the intention isn't just to make it look like worse men's football it should look like women's football which is obviously about maximizing different capacities rather than it being just the same game played at a slower speed
0: I've got a question here that actually on reading it back looks a little bit banal but just about things that football analytics can learn from football manager maybe I'll make this more specific and just say you as a data analyst who works in football what do you think you've learned from working with sports interactive on the football manager program and I suppose one of the the greatest ways that we can expand knowledge is by looking at knowledge in different ways with different perspectives and asking and answering questions that we might not normally have approached so do you think that you've actually benefited your own career as a football analyst by working on on a simulating football game I suppose?
1: I think if I answer this in a slightly larger sense initially and then honing on me specifically Hmm. in regards to the kind of interaction between the football analytics space and football manager I don't want to sound presumptuous but my impression is that football manager has had a pretty foundational effect on a lot of people who work in football analytics and a lot of people who work on football historically you've played football manager when you were kids We've been known as spreadsheet manager for years. There's reams and reams of numbers everywhere. Anyone who's a little bit numerically curious and into football will have played football manager. And I'm confident that almost anyone who works in data analytics will have spent thousands and thousands of hours on football manager. So the way I view that relationship is we almost have like, to an extent, a responsibility to ensure that we continue that. We want to make sure that what we show is always a little bit ahead of perhaps kind of public access levels because we feel that it's an important part. I know we're both, and I assume a lot of the people listening to this, will be in a football analytics bubble where you get to the end of a match, you see the XG race charts, you see the shot maps, you see pass maps. You don't think twice about it. They're second nature to us now, even stuff like XG. With the however many 100 million football manager matches that have been played this year, a very significant proportion of those people Will not see XG race charts, past maps, and shot maps at the end of their normal interaction with football unless MNF show it. However, with the changes we've made in the last couple of years, we wanted to make sure that we're pushing the envelope at the edge of believability. So, at any level, if you have an analyst on your staff and football manager, when you play a match at the end of the match, you're going to receive a post match analysis inbox item that has the race chart, it has the pass map, it has the shot map, and it has basic textual analysis of that information to make it useful to you because you have an analyst explaining it and then you have a better comprehension of how it can make you a better football manager and maybe it'll affect your understanding of football as well so we really do view that as like a an important part of what we do i want to make sure that we're kind of still assisting the data analytics community in that sense i know Primarily, the reason that people use Football Manager is because of the database of the player information. That's always useful in football analytics, having those kind of qualitative measures of a player. We obviously have stuff like mental attributes that have come from somebody watching maybe dozens of matches of a a player that you're never, ever going to be able to watch, which I think is also useful information. But from the way it's changed my perspective and the kind of way that I would work in data analytics... It's definitely done well at helping me be able to abstract something that's happening into a measure and then think about how that measure will then affect football in, to an extent. So it might be like, okay, well, pressing isn't right. So then we can come up with a, a measure for pressing. I can then watch football matches and think about it in a much more kind of analytical view because of the fact that I've gone through that process of abstraction. I don't think it, it's made me any better at football. I know i am certainly not got a better first touch from writing code all day. But yeah, I think it's, it's certainly assisted my thought process.
0: I always end these podcast episodes with a question about the future. So I guess the, the question has got to be about where Football Manager goes next in terms of the development side of things. So how would you answer that question?
1: I'd say the biggest hitter for us is what you've highlighted already with the women's football. It's a big change. It's something we've obviously not done before. And we hope that it'll provide a pretty significant burst of interest, both in women's football from men's football manager players and from the kind of community at large, because a lot of people play football manager who don't really care about much else apart from football manager or just watching their normal men's team. It will also provide iterative improvements to the match engine because of the fact that we have to think about it from different perspectives. If on average all the players are slower, and somehow our defending looks awful all of a sudden, then that's a good indication that our defending in the match engine isn't a good replication of defending, and it's just a good replication of what fast players can do. So I think, yeah, women's football is the big one. But to be honest with Football Manager, you'll know this. It's about continuous iteration. We've been doing this for 25 years. The match engine is millions and millions of lines of code. It's not something that is ever going to be rewritten. It's not something that's ever going to be rehashed and dumped and totally built from scratch again what we look to do and what we've talked about throughout this is about replicating real life and we're quite happy with the current simulation but we know there's lots that we can do to improve it and we're happy with our workflow processes about improving it what we're going to do primarily is continue to iterate and where we can get advances so say for instance in the usage of data that's been massive for us that really helps us validate the changes and i think it's been a really good approach that we've taken over the last couple of years and we see it in the match engine where we have better replication of xyz because of our database approach so perhaps there'll be some other advancement maybe stuff with tracking data like you've said where we can suddenly much more accurately represent how players move, how players run, how players' physical data deteriorates throughout a match. But yeah, it's always about continuous improvement for us.
0: Elliot, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: No worries. Thank you for having me. Been really interesting.
0: So that was Elliot Stapley, a software engineer working on the match engine and data for Sports Interactive's Football Manager game. You can follow him on Twitter at ElliotStapley and Sports Interactive at SIGames. We'll be back next month with another interesting guest, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it, and check out all the content that is going out from Analytics FC on our Twitter account, at Analytics FC. Goodbye.